Oh, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? All right. Before we dive in today, a couple things I wanted to touch on. I didn't tell uh, Marshall to talk about this, so that's, that's my mistake. But on every chair, I put one of these uh, cards this morning. So this is your invitation card to pass out to a friend, a family member to join us for Easter Sunday. If you have more than one person you'd like to bring, grab one off a chair or in the south lobby on the coffee bar table, there is a whole stack of these. So take as many as you want, pass these out to your friends, your neighbors, your community, and let's uh, share with them the fun that we're going to have on Easter Sunday here at the church. Um, also, again, something that I didn't, um, just really got got hit on my heart this week, uh, has nothing to do with the message this morning, but something I really wanted to pray with, have you guys join me in prayer with. Uh, this week in particular, but it feels like the past month now, um, the Asian community has been really assaulted. Um, it's been under attack. There's been a whole lot of just, you can't go a day on the news without hearing something else happening with someone randomly getting assaulted specifically for being Asian. And this past week, there was a horrible tragedy in Georgia where um, I think it was six people of the Asian community were shot and killed. More were shot, but I think six of them passed away. And it's just been an unwarranted, horrible assault in this community. So I wanted to pray this morning, um, not just for us like I do on Sunday morning, but also specifically for that group of people who are under attack and could really just use some love and know that our thoughts and prayers are reaching out to them. So would you pray with me this morning as we just lift up our Asian brothers and sisters? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you uh, for this church and for these people, their, their hearts to, to give and to serve so generously, God. And, and right now, this morning, as we uh, come together, I lift up the Asian community to you right now. God, um, I, I, pray, I speak against the, the hate and the anger and the violence that, that they're experiencing, God, and I pray right now that uh, people responsible for that, uh, that justice comes to them. God, I pray that there, there's a peace over the community, there's a healing in the community, and just a healing in people's hearts as a whole when it comes to acts of violence or speaking out against someone specifically because of their race or the color of their skin. God, there's no place for that in your kingdom. There's no place, there's no place for that in your heart. So God, I pray for unity amongst churches, unity amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that all together we can stand for what's right and help people in times of need. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So... Glad to be back here today, continuing our series of From the Ashes. Now, one of the main points, we've been talking about ashes. Ashes, a powdery residue left after the burning of a substance, something that is totally destroyed, right? You can't really turn ashes into anything, which is, which is the starting point of what we've been talking about today, or this, this, uh, this whole series. Week one, we talked about temptation, and then we talked about Christ-like humility, and last week we took at a very powerful habit we could have, contemplation or a prayer life, a strong prayer life and quiet time with God. Now, this week, I want to focus on, again, life may feel like a pile of ashes, but know that you are never broken beyond repair. That's, that's the underlying theme of this whole thing. You are never broken beyond repair. Now, this week we're going to talk about confession. Some of you may already be thinking when you hear the word, why confession? It, it seems like such an old school term, doesn't it? You, con confession. And it even has a bad rap. When you hear the word confession, nothing really positive comes when you say the word. Isn't this what detectives want from criminals? Do you guys like police dramas? I love police dramas. I watch them all the time, whether it's Law and Order or uh, sometimes Criminal Minds or um, CSI. Like, I just love the police dramas and stuff, but they always strive for the same thing as you get to the, the climax of the episode. They catch the criminal, they have him in a room, and they're trying to get that confession. Or if the detectives can't get it in the, in the room, 
the lawyers trying to get it on the stage. They're trying to trick the, the, uh, the guilty party into saying what they did out loud. Right? They want that confession so the jury can hear it from everybody, what they've done. And once they do it, you know that they're guilty. No way around it. That person said it. They're guilty. They get to go to prison. They need to be punished. Sounds very harsh. So we, we have this connotation to put confession in with judgment and criminal activity and just a horrible punishment because of guilt. Now, if you grew up in a re religious house, maybe even with a Catholic upbringing, confession could actually look one of two ways. Confession could be something that's very special and intimate for you. It could be something where you, you know, like, I get to come before God right now and I get to confess. I get to get really close because I'm going to have a conversation with him. Or maybe you grew up in the same background, but you take it the total other way. And you say, man, times of confession were times where I felt guilty, times I felt bad, times that I just felt like dirt because I knew punishment was coming because of what I had done. Truth is, though, there is a lot in Scripture that talks about confession in our walk with Jesus. So as we jump into this talk on, on confessing our sins and in confession with God, I want us all to get on the same page. Can we do that? I'm going to ask you two really, really easy questions. At least I think they're easy. I really hope you don't struggle with these. Number one, are you human? You don't have to laugh at it. It's just an honest question. Like, yes, no, right? We're human, right? Everyone can say, yes, we're all human. Number two, this is where it gets tricky, but I think we can all answer it. Have you ever sinned? Are you human? Have you ever sinned? Now, unless you are God, you said yes to both of those, right? I mean, we, we can all be unified under those two questions. We are human and we've all sinned. Unless you're God or unless you're my wife who's practically perfect in every way like Mary Poppins, you are, yes, you're human and yes, you've sinned. Now, Romans 3.23 unites us all in this common ground. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the key word in this verse, it says all, right? Everyone can say that. Everyone can say all on three. One, two, three. We've got this. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. We don't deserve this grace, this salvation that God offers. We don't deserve it. I've fallen short. You've fallen short. Our parents have fallen short. Every pastor on every platform in the world has fallen short. But I am so glad Scripture does not start with this verse and Scripture does not end with this verse. There is so much before and so much after that makes this so powerful, and I want to capitalize on that today. See, in the beginning of Scripture, we see this amazing example of perfection. When God creates Adam and God creates Eve and he has the Garden of Eden, we see just the most beautiful example of perfection. God made it all, and it was good. No pain, no suffering, no death. This was ideal, and then everything changed. Most of us know the story that begins in Genesis chapter 3, titled The Fall. I'm going to read it to you guys. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord amongst the trees in the garden. If you guys ever had that moment, you're doing something wrong, and then you hear the authoritative steps coming towards you, and it's like, panic, hide! Right? Adam and Eve are now having their panic moment. They know daddy's coming home, and they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Continuing. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? This is where it gets really crazy. The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate Something crazy in this passage. We see, with the following of the first sin, we see blame and we see confession. We see those two go hand in hand. Now, the confession is short and brief, and it's immediately it's preceded with the blame. But the confessing part is a step in the right direction. You see, Adam blames his wife, and then he confesses. That woman you gave me made me eat it, and I ate it. And then Eve blames the snake. That snake, it, it, just, it told me to eat it. It gave it to me, and then I ate it. You see, but it's after the confessing, when, when they actually say to God, and I ate it. And Eve says, I ate it. This is where everything goes down. It's important to see that because it's at that moment when they admit it, this is where the healing begins. Now it's preceded with consequences, but this is ultimately where the path to healing begins. The moment where the consequences are dished out started the ultimate plan where God is now working to bring Jesus to redeem us from, for his goal from the start. The difference between blame and confessing, though, something I think we need to know when we talk about our sins as we move forward with this, blame. Blame is when you are looking for a reason to not admit what you've done or an excuse for what you've done, and confessing is admitting you did something that you weren't supposed to do. So with this confession, though, admitting that they ate the fruit and the reason they were hiding, the incredible process that leads to the cross begins. Now, you can look at scripture in a couple different ways. One of the first ways that you look at scripture is you look at humanity as this massive fall in a book of judgment where we have a God who looks at us and says, you sinned, you're gonna die, and this is the consequence. There are people that, that look at scripture in this way, and typically those people will look at the beginning of the Bible with Genesis 3 in mind. They'll say, where does scripture begin? Man, in the garden people fell. That, that's like the, the starting point. Or you can look at scripture in a different way. You can look at scripture as Genesis 1, and you see perfection in the beginning, and then you see Genesis 3, but then you see the whole Bible as this incredible love story that God wrote that is all pointing back to Genesis 1. It's all pointing back to him saying, this is why I'm going to send my son. This is my love story to you. This is about my redemptive nature, so through the story of Jesus, how we get to get back to this moment now where everything is again perfect. The road can be tough at times, especially when we mess up and we have our sin, and we, have that, we come to that moment where we have to sit before God and say, God, this is where I've gone wrong. This is where I've messed up. And we admit and we confess. It's a hard road sometimes, but I, I love that Scripture is that amazing love story that all points back to perfection with Jesus. Now, I remember when I was younger, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. This is a, not my proudest moment. It's funny, when someone says, I'm going to be real honest with you, it assumes they weren't being honest before. I've never done that. But when I was younger, uh, middle school, this movie came out. 
rated R. All the boys in high school wanted to see this movie for obvious reasons that it was rated R, including me. So my older brother decided it was my birthday, and he was going to take me and my younger brother, who uh, we only, our birthdays were only a month apart, he said, I'm going to take you guys to the movies, and we're going to go see it. Don't tell mom. Because my older brother was over 18. He could get us into the rated R movie. I was like, all right, let's go. My mom asked, what are you going to go see? And we blatantly lied. So we're going to go see this movie. It was a rated PG-13 action movie. And, and she was like, okay, have fun. Didn't question us, had no reason to. So we, we go to the theater. We see the movie we're not supposed to see. We come home. And my mom asks, how was the movie? We went into this elaborate story of the movie we did not see. Talked about all these action scenes and sequences of this. And it was great and it was so fun. And my mom was like, I'm so glad you guys had a good time. And we went to bed thinking, yeah, that was awesome. We got away with it. We get to tell all of our friends what we saw. This is going to be amazing. Well, what we didn't know is that my older brother who took us to see this movie, he was feeling really guilty. And so we were in bed and he went to my mom and he confessed. I said, hey, I took Dustin and his brother, our other brother, I'm not, I won't rat him out here. <laughs> he, he said, I took Dustin, and there's, I have a lot of brothers, so they, can just, they know who they are. He said, I took him to see this movie, and my mom, of course, was upset. So we're in bed. She comes into the room. Lights are out, but she just goes, Dustin, and mm -hmm. what movie did you guys see? We lied, again. Just said the name of the wrong movie, and then she goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. And kids, if your parent says that, they know the truth already. They're giving you a chance to own up, right? So she goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. What movie did you see? So we told her. And then she said the most horrible thing a parent can say to their kids when they're upset. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. It's like, no, just be mad, please. Please just be mad. I know that if you're mad, we'll get over it. We'll be in trouble and everything's okay. But she was, and, and then she walked away. There was like nothing else said at that. She just goes, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. And then she went to bed. And she left us sitting there just thinking, well, now what? Because then we felt like dirt, and we felt so bad. And there was a long road to earning my mom's trust again from that point. She actually didn't even give us a massive consequence. I mean, there was no punishment, but there definitely was. We had to, you know, prove where we were going to go. There were some steps in place because we had to earn that trust back. But I remember how horrible it was to get to that point. Admitting failure is difficult. Admitting when you mess up, man, it's not something people love to jump and do. Confessing and coming clean when you're at fault, this is not an easy task. And I'm sure many of you here today, maybe you have a story similar to the one I shared or, or a story similar along those lines where you messed up and you didn't want to face the music. You didn't want to come clean and say, this is what I did. This is how it's going to affect things. But ultimately, you had to face the music. Honestly, we probably all have numerous stories that sound eerily similar with things that we've said or done. But thankfully, all these stories end differently when Jesus gets involved. Everything changes when God is there. With God, we're promised a forgiving, an amazing forgiveness when we confess our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is great because it shows us there's an accountability to our actions, right? It takes away the ability to say, like back in the garden, the devil made me do it. That snake made me do it. It's devil's fault. Or it even takes away the ability for us to say, you know what? God knows my heart. 
God knows that I'm sorry, so I'm just going to move on. Because it says, no, there's so much power in confessing with your, your mouth. Becoming to God and just saying, God, this is what I've done. Taking that moment to really open up your heart to him. And the crazy thing is here is you're not catching him off guard. When, when you confess something to God, can you imagine if you said, God, this is what I did. And he goes, you did what? No way. God will never have that reaction. Nothing you say is going to surprise him. Nothing you say is going to make him go, oh, my gosh. Oh. oh, breathe deep. I can't believe you said that. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're about to say. But there's an incredible vulnerability in your heart that comes up, an incredible change that comes in your life when you sit down and you say, God, I'm going to be open. Here's what I've happened. We are acknowledging in that moment his sovereignty over us. We're acknowledging that he is in control, that he is the one that has the power to make things right. It's not us. It's not surprising to him, but we are being so open, acknowledging that he is in charge. And something happens as well. When you bring yourself to this moment, there's an incredible weight that gets lifted off your shoulders. There's an incredible burden that just gets freed, something that doesn't bond you down because you are literally wiping away what has happened with the blood of Jesus on your heart. The blood of Jesus wiping away of what he shared for us and you're able to live free, unburdened, unhindered. Hebrews 12.1 talks about this race that you get to run. Paul says, run the race. And man, when you confess and you go to God and say, God, please take this off my shoulders, you're then able to run that race with everything you've got because nothing's holding you back. Now, obviously, Jesus led a sinless life. We're not gonna see an example in scripture of Jesus sinning, but it's because of his sinless life and because of his sacrifice that we get to experience the unrestrained forgiveness of an incredibly loving God. As I said in week one, I say it every week, you're not broken beyond repair. Nothing you confess to God is ever gonna make him say, that's it, I've had it, you're out. He will always lift you up. He will always rise you up. He will always say, my son died for this moment, right here, where we get to wipe this off and have a clean slate. And God has the ability to make you the ability to build you up bigger, stronger, and make you shine brighter than you ever have before because he loves you so much. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. See, this, this forgiveness really is the example of the ultimate amazing grace. And it can be totally different to something you grew up with. Some people may have uh, examples in their lives of, you know, being totally afraid to confess to your parents to say, hey, I did something wrong because you knew that there was a punishment that was going to come. And it was going to be really bad. And it was going to be really hard. And what's great is in scripture, we see the total opposite. There may be consequences, but ultimately when God talks to you, when you confess to God, you see a redemptive path to love that God has for you, a redemption that only he can provide. And that's the redemption that we're going to talk about today. This, uh, this passage that we're going to read next is going to tell a story. Again, many of us are most probably familiar with this passage. An arrogant son, his journey from an ash heap back to the love of his father. But we're gonna, I'm going to break it down into a few parts today. We're going to talk about the prodigal son. So Luke 15, if you want to turn there to follow along. We're going to start in verse 11. Now, most of us are familiar with this story about this son, but I think it's such a beautiful example of confession and redemption, and we're going to break it up into a few different parts. So the prodigal son, part one, we're going to call it, we squander it all. I want to thank, I want to thank my wife for getting me this. You know, I always talk about how she tells me I have a big ego, and then she says, I got your water cup to speak from. She feeds into my ego so well. I love it. So, 
Luke 15, starting in verse 11, this story is where most of our stories begin, right? We're convinced that we know how to run things better than God does. I mean, ultimately, the root of sin, that, that's what it is. We take, make that decision to say, I know this better. I'm going to do this better. This is the path I'm going to go on because I know what's best for me right now. We take something and we can waste it on living however we want. We can decide we know which, what's best, and that leads to choosing a path that leads to sin. Or we can double down on our bad decisions and possibly hurt ourselves or hurt others. And that's what happens here. So starting in verse 11, it says this. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now the story is crazy for a couple reasons, because in this culture and time, for the son to go to the father and say, I want my inheritance, he was essentially telling his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I want this now. And it doesn't say that, that the father argued with him and held anything back. It says that he gave it to him and said, you can go. And the son left and he squandered his money. Now, the word used wild living is only used once in the New Testament. And it describes this extravagantly wasteful lifestyle, right? Where the, the son goes and he just blows all of his money off on anything he could. He spends his inheritance, but eventually, like all good things, <laughs> it comes to an end, right? The money runs out. The party life stops, and he has nothing. And that's a big part, often a big part of our sin, or rebellion, as it's referred to in Scripture. We have standards and guidelines that God put in place. He says, here's how I want you to live. Here's, here's, here's rules and some guardrails for you. But often when we sin, it's us looking at those guardrails and saying, but I want this instead, or I want that. And we see in this story an example of someone who saw that. Said, the father said, here's your stuff. Here's where you can go. And the son said, I'm going that way. Total opposite direction, and eventually he lost everything. When we say that, when we say my way is better, or I need this, that can lead to a bad path if we don't ultimately, again, come before God. It's at this point where we realize maybe like the sun, we've squandered something. We had something, and we squandered it. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But thankfully, that's not the end of the prodigal son story right there. It doesn't say that the son wasted it all and then that was it for him. That wasn't the end of his story, and that's definitely not the end of our story. <clears throat> Part two, I want to call it no longer worthy. Continuing in Luke 15, it says this. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. We're going to pause right there in the middle of verse 20. You see, the son realized something that I think we all need to realize at some point in our lives as well if we're battling with this, this walk with, with Jesus we have when we know there's things we need to talk about. There needs to be a time in our lives where we can simply come to our senses and realize our life was never what it was meant to be apart from the father. Our life, no matter how crazy it may be, no matter how bad or how good, it is never what it was meant to be if you're apart from God. My prayer for all of us is that no one here gets to the point that this son was at. No one gets to the point where you feel like you are so broken. 
your dreams are gone and you've squandered everything to where you literally feel like you are a pile of ashes. And that's what the son was ultimately feeling like. He was the pile of ashes. He wanted to go back to his dad, even saying, I'm not even your son anymore. He thought there was no redemption. There was no way his dad would take him back. This was it. He blew off the inheritance. That's money they'll never see again. And he's going to come back. He's eating with pigs. He said, I'm going to be a servant. It's just, it's better than what I have now, but I will never get back to where I was. His life was a pile of ashes. But I love this. The good news is, just like the son, we're able to make the decision to head home, to head to God at any time. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it is, at any point in your walk, you get to say, wow, this is not what it was meant to be. I get to go home. And I love the response we get from the father when we get there. <clears throat> Some of us have come to the end of our worth and we realize that in Christ alone, we are found worthy before God. But it's only through Christ that we get to stand before God and say, this is why I'm here, because of what Jesus did and because I'm coming to you with all of my faults and all my inequities. And we get to see God's response in this next passage. As the younger son reaches his end, I love the confession he was practicing. He says, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. He recognizes the depravity of his life. He recognizes what he's said and what he's done. And ultimately that his actions were more than just sinning against his heavenly father, but against his earthly father as well. And sometimes our sin does that. It's not just a sin where we do something, we say, oh man, I, I definitely didn't make the right decision. I kind of, I stepped out totally of what God wanted for me. But sometimes those decisions hurt people around us. And then you go this path of not even just confessing to God what you've done. Then you've got to take that ultimate road and go confess to somebody else what you've done. And man, that can be even harder sometimes it seems. But ultimately, he has this plan. He says, I'm going to go to my dad. I'm going to tell him, not only did I sin against God, but I sinned against you. Now, what happens next is huge. I love that a lot of us know the end of the story. But before I read the end of the story, I love that Jesus, as he's telling the story, he emphasizes a passage from old, the Old Testament. In the book of Joel, it says this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anchor and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You see, Jesus uses this Old Testament passage to reinforce what we're about to see the Father do to his Son. He, he comes to give us, he says, guys, God is here to send you a message of redemption. God is here to give you a message of love. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to say, this is where I've messed up. This is where I've fallen short. Because when you do that, I'm not going to throw a lightning bolt down and strike you. I get to wrap you up and show you something incredible that maybe you haven't experienced before. In the prodigal son, the third part, we see that he is alive again. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is one of the most incredible, incredibly beautiful, compassionate scenes that you'll find in scripture. The younger son reaches bottom. But when he reaches bottom, he decides to go home. What is great about this is when it says the father saw him from a long way off, that showed the father was looking the whole time. 
He was right there saying, my son is gone and I'm going to keep waiting. I'm watching for him to come. And when the father sees him, the son doesn't even get a chance to get home yet. I love it. He's on his way home. He has his, his heart's in the right place now. He says, I got to go. This is what I've got to say. And on his way, his father meets him there. He runs to him. And you can almost kind of hear the, the muffled like, dad, I'm going <laughs> to because his dad has just wrapped him up and is loving him, and is saying, I'm so glad you're home. We get to celebrate. He doesn't even get to confess everything. He doesn't get to to do everything he says because the dad is so glad he's home. He sees his son's heart, his willingness about his character, and he was physically starved, yes. He He had been to a foreign land with nothing to show, but when he hit rock bottom, when he came home, his father welcomed him. And I love that, that when the son realized what really mattered became clear to him. I mean, he, what really mattered, he knew that his dad had an abundance of food. He knew that his dad took care of his people. He knew that his father's house would call him home. We may feel like we're at rock bottom. You may feel like a pile of ashes. You may, you may feel like something you've done is so hard. And maybe you haven't taken that moment in a long time to just say, hey, God, it's been a while since I've just talked about, man, how I've messed up. But I love that when we do that, I love this image of when we're getting down on our knees to say, God, here I am. He's already wrapping you up and holding you saying, I know. I know. I know what you're about to say. Say it. Let's talk about it. Some of us may need to eat a slice of humble pie this morning. Sometimes we may, we may need to confess something we've done and then have that amazing moment where God gets to hold you, where he gets to say, I know what you've done. We're going to work through this. We're going to work through it together. There's a verse in Psalm that speaks so perfectly about what happens in that moment. Psalm 32.5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God doesn't ignore what you confess. When we have that moment where we say, God, I've got to talk about this, he doesn't look at it and say, no, nah, no big deal. What he does is he works through it. He handles it. And then ultimately, when your heart opens up for God and you feel that weight lifted off, he's erased it. It's not something he looks back and holds over your head. I love that we don't serve a God who looks at you and says, oh, remember that one time where you really messed up? Oof, that was rough. Let's look at that again. He gives us the ability to remember what we've done. We have the ability to look through what we've done and learn from our mistakes. and, And there may be consequences for sure. But ultimately, he doesn't hold it over your head. He loves you. He erases your sin so that you can move on. I know that my mom chose to forgive me after I lied to her. And that, I, honestly, when I look back at that moment, I still feel the, the guilt that comes up from knowing I blatantly lied to her multiple times before I finally admitted what I was done. And it was, I was me only admitting it when she caught me, right? It wasn't even me going to her ahead of time and saying, hey, I really did something wrong. That's what my older brother did. And I don't know how things would have played out if he didn't go to her. I don't know how long the the lie would have happened or how long it would have held out. But ultimately, I knew she forgave me. me. Our relationship was restored. It took time. I definitely had consequences. But I learned from what I did. I was able to rebuild that trust. And she never held it over my head. To this day, I, I can't think of even one time. I bring it up. I've brought it up multiple times with different people and talking about things that I've done. But I can honestly tell you, I can't remember one time where she's ever told anybody, yeah, my son lied to me once. Dustin, tell him what you did. She's never done it. It's always been me telling the story because I know that she's forgiven me. 
She doesn't think about what I've done. She looks at what I've grown through since then. And I know that the way my mom looks at me like that, I know that that's an example of how God looks at us. He doesn't look and say, man, look what you've done. Look what you did. I can't believe you did this. Oh, man, shock, shocker. What have you done here? He says, no, I get to hold you. I get to love you. We get to wipe this out and move forward because you came to me. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back um, up on stage this morning as we get ready to close. I want to ask you guys a this question, in your heart, in your life, when you think of just things going on and where you're at, is there something you need to talk to God about today? Is there something in your life that you know you need to make right? Is there something in your life that is keeping you from seeing God run to you right now? Is it anger? Is it uh, something, maybe an unforgiveness or someone you need to forgive? Is there an offense that you've done, a past offense? Is there an unmet expectation is there a past hurt? Is there pride? Is there shame? Is there, is there guilt? What can be confessed of, repented of? What today do you need to say, God, here I am. I know it's not shocking, but it's been too long. Let's talk about this. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want to invite you all today Run to your father. Run to the father. And, and on that run, watch how quickly he's running to you as well. Watch to see how he's going to wrap you up and embrace you and say, I love you. I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this, but this is why I sent Jesus. This is the, ultimately the path he laid on for the cross was for us to have this moment together where we are together and I get to love you. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> We serve an amazing God, don't we? One who, uh, one who just looks at us as just this beautiful, perfect child that he made, that he loves so much that he sent his son to die for us so that the burden of our sin doesn't weigh us down. It doesn't hold us down. That's an amazing thing. We don't get to take that sin away, but God says, I laid out this path. Come to me, watch me run to you, and let's keep going together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your redemption that you offer through Jesus. God, I, I ask that if there's anyone, anyone here today, if any of us have something that's on our hearts that maybe we haven't taken time to talk to you about, God, that you allow us to have that conversation. You allow us to, to feel that love, to feel that redemption that comes from you, can only come from you, God. I pray that through our confession, as we, as we speak with our mouth, you open up our hearts and our minds to, to grasp the love, the, the amazing grace that you have for us. And God, I ask that as we do this, we experience your love in a way like we've maybe never felt it before. And we get to go shout out to our friends and family about this amazing person that you are and what you've done for us. Because what you've done for us, you've also done for them. So God, we thank you. We love you. Everybody said, amen. amen.